Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 306th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. 306, it's a lot, isn't it? We're broadcasting across the world this week from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, California, and this is where technology meets entertainment. We've just enjoyed a long, a Labor Day long weekend with beautiful weather across most of the country. We had a few big fires here in Los Angeles, but they're now contained. And, of course, the big mop-up after Hurricane Harvey which I think everybody's heard of no matter where they are in the world. Um, And the magnitude of the damage has to be seen to be believed. And I implore all of the listeners to this program to dig deep and give generously to the Salvation Army or the Red Cross. The cost of repairing the damage is somewhere around $170 billion, and that's a huge amount. So... Let's start this week's show off with some fabulous stories of generosity. Firstly, I'd like to send a salute out to J.J. Watts. Now, for those of you who are not in the United States, and about 30% of our audience are not, um, J.J. Watts is a defensive end for the Houston Texans. They play in the NFL. And less than a week ago, immediately after the hurricane hit, he set out to raise $250,000 for the hurricane victims. And so far, he has raised over $20 million. That's nearly, what, 100 times more than he anticipated raising. And he's been at the front lines with the tens of thousands of displaced Houston residents every day since the disaster hit. It's a remarkable effort from a remarkable guy. And uh, so our hat's off to him. But if you can help, Hurricane didn't do us any favours. Um, Harvey is not a popular name in the United States right at the moment. Now, while on the subject of giving, I'd like to also mention six absolutely remarkable kids. You know, anyone can make a positive difference in the world. Doesn't matter what age, sex, colour or religion you are, all good deeds accumulate and we can all make an unbelievable difference. Some of J.J. Watt's donations are just a dollar. And while you may think, geez, that's insignificant when the tally is so huge, all those individual dollars added up to $20 million. And that can make a huge difference to individuals' lives. A lot of people have lost absolutely everything. Now, these six incredible kids that I'm going to mention have been inspired by circumstances in their own lives and they've taken on impactful issues close to their hearts. The first one I want to mention is six-year-old Ella Tyron, who was hooked up to IVs and a feeding tube during her hospitalisation for a celiac disease. When she wanted more crayons to colour with, the hospital didn't have enough crayons due to cross-contamination risks. So little Ella, and um forget, six years old, created her own campaign, which she called Help Me Colour a Rainbow. And she went about collecting crayon donations to help other young patients. 
Ella's story generated lots of publicity and her wish was to collect 10,000 boxes of crayons by Christmas. Bearing in mind, six years old, Ella collected 13,132 boxes of crayons and 254 colouring books. Ella's now on her way to meeting her goal of sending a 1,000 boxes of crayons to every children's hospital in America and 5,000 boxes in particular to St. Jude's Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee that looked after her. Now, Ella, now seven, is a first-degree black belt. She's teaching herself sign language so she can communicate with a friend she aspires to be a veterinarian or a heart surgeon. Careers that no one who's ever met her would underestimate her achieving. Ella, girl, you are an inspiration. Fantastic effort. Our second example of extraordinary kids is Jalen Arnold, whose Tourette's syndrome made life, school life very difficult for her. She was in elementary school. The then eight-year-old, created Jalen's challenge for tolerance because she used to get bullied to put an end to school bullying through donations. His campaign produces anti-bullying wristbands, posters, books and other materials and he's helping teachers spread the message of tolerance to their students. Jalen now tours campuses giving presentations on tolerance He's filmed a TV show on Tourette's and recently he was ordered the Princess Diana Legacy Award in London at St. James Palace and it was presented to him by Prince William, who's the Duke of Cambridge, and Prince Harry. What an incredible example for all of us. 15-year-old Chanel Turner is our third Example today, when she and her family moved to Vacaville, California, they joined the local Boys and Girls Club. Now, Chanel's family was really doing it tough, and they couldn't afford to give her the athletic shoes she needed to try out for a high school basketball team. She had her shoes duct taped together to hold the soles on, on both feet. The Boys and Girls Club stepped in and provided her with a scholarship to purchase shoes. Wanting to pay it forward, Chanel set up Chanel's Locker and raised $11,000 from well-wishers to provide footwear vouchers for student-athletes who apply to her program. The program's now taken hold and thousands of kids will benefit from her incredible generosity. Now, she was 15 and making a difference to thousands of kids who are doing it tough. Garrett Lowry is our fourth example of remarkable kids. When Garrett lost his grandfather and his beloved cat to cancer, the then 11-year-old was shattered and he turned a class philanthropic project into an ultimate act of compassion. He learned to knit from his grandmother and says it's a very calming activity and he wanted to do something to help kids with cancer. 
So his initial goal was to knit 15 hats for kids who had lost their hair from cancer. He's now knitted more than 150 caps for kids, donating the caps to hospitals in California and Colorado. So young patients who lose their hair have head coverings. Now, he's now 11, but when he was seventh birthday onwards, he donated all his gifts to the Ronald McDonald House and he recently delivered yet another 50 caps to the Children's Hospital of Orange County in California. Bravo, Garrett. I personally know how soul-destroying it is when you have cancer and lose all your hair. I understand that, and I applaud you for what you're doing. Our fifth extraordinary kid is Addison Goss, who met a homeless grandfather recently for the very first time. She learned that he'd been homeless for many years. His stories of struggle inspired the 10-year-old to create the Snuggle Sacks campaign. Now, you may well have seen this. I've seen it on the news a few times. The Snuggle Sacks include toiletries, snacks, and warm coverings for men, women, and children that are homeless living on the street. With a sister and brother, they've delivered over 1,700 survival kits to people in need. She also adds a card entitled A Word of Hope that details her effort and a few words from Madison herself. So everyone that's homeless and gets a snuggle sack gets a card that says, I know you may be feeling down right now and don't think that life is fair. Please remember that there are people who care about you and things will get better. I hope this little gift makes you smile with love, Addison. Well, what a pity the world doesn't have a lot more caring people like Addison. Our last extraordinary kid is Emma Burkhart, who a few years ago received two of the same blankets as gifts and it sparked an idea to give blankets to children who may need a blanket more than she did. So nine-year-old Emma started the Keep Kids Warm Blanket Drive, and last year, the second year of the drive, she collected more than triple the first year's number, almost 900 new blankets, and the blankets went to 11 different organisations. That's absolutely amazing. Now, these are a bunch of kids And think of all the joy they've brought to all these people. Sit down and ask yourself, what have I done for my community lately? I'd love to hear from you. Let me know. You know, most people you ask that to, um and ah and come up with some bullshit answer, but they usually don't do anything. So the message from these six kids is, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, and do it for as long as you ever can. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read newsletter? We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds 
and every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology, subjects like Hyperloop, Bitcoin, Ethereum, autonomous cars, the blockchain, um, new medical um, discoveries. It's free and its information is invaluable. If you don't get it, just go to my website, which is bobpritchard.com and enroll. You'll love it. The big growth business, particularly around where we live, where there's a lot of single people and millennial couples, are meal kits. This is where the precise ingredients for a meal are delivered in a box with instructions and you create a meal at a reasonable cost without shopping or having any leftovers. They're unbelievably convenient and they don't cost that much more than a fast casual meal. Now, Blue Apron's currently the big guy on the block. However, they have declining revenue growth and last year's profit flipped to a loss of over $30 million. The meal kit industries attracted dozens of startups specialising in every kind of diet. It's hard to raise prices because there's a whole bunch of startups who've got plenty of money, don't need to turn a profit because they still have cash to burn. And in addition, big players like Amazon and Kroger and Publix are also getting into the home delivery game. Now, Blue Apron cut back on marketing expenses because it was having problems meeting current demand and didn't want to bring in new customers and disappoint them. As a result, management expects lower revenue growth in the second half of the year. Now, the other key issue is that acquisition cost is more than $400, yet the average customer spends only $251 on the service. In other words, the company has both an operational and a demand problem at a time when it's got increased competition. And you can bet that if Blue Apron isn't making a profit or seeing growth, then most of its peers aren't either. So Blue Apron will either need to acquire small competitors, merge with a similar-sized company, or sell itself to a big guy like Amazon or one of the um, supermarket chains. Now, this will help them leverage operational costs like marketing and management. They should be able to negotiate lower food prices and shipping costs. And, of course, it eliminates at least some of the competition. So it's about time for Blue Apron to begin negotiating. And if you rely on Blue Apron to eat, I think you might take up cooking classes just in case. My guest today is Janine Darling. She's the founder and CEO of Stash Data Centric Security which is a technology company focused exclusively on data security. And as you probably know, data security is the fastest growing crime in the world. It seems every day someone is hacked. In 2014, over 1 billion records were stolen in cyber theft and it cost over half a trillion dollars. 30,000 companies were hacked every single day, 30,000 every day, 185 million documented intrusions have bypassed perimeter security tools and virus detectors. I'll be back with Janine in just a short minute after this break. 
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the past five years, we've given you insights into the lives of over 350 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about what they do, and we've tried to find out what makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business, and we all need to receive, get all the advice we can and get assistance from entrepreneurs and mentors and, and people who have achieved success. So the aim of this segment is to provide you with a wide variety of information on various subjects to assist you to make better choices and become more successful. My guest today is an extremely accomplished lady, Janine Darling, who has held many prominent leadership positions for major companies and has been recognised with a slew, that's a lot, of awards. She's driven the expansion and profitability of brands including Victoria's Secret, Barnes & Noble, Everlast, Chanel, Nestle, Sony, Starbucks, goes on and on. Her expertise in devising innovative business strategy and leveraging well-considered risk to optimise outcome is well documented. She's currently the founder and CEO of Stash Data-Centric Security. This is a technology company focused exclusively on data security. And as you probably know, and you've been following the news for the last few years, it's the fastest growing crime in the world. This is an extraordinary number. In 2014, over one billion records were stolen. Cyber theft costs the world economy half a trillion dollars and 500,000 jobs a year. And almost 30,000 companies get hacked every single day. So, geez, hackers out there are really busy, obviously. To date, there's been 185 million documented intrusions that have bypassed perimeter security tools and virus detectors. So, when companies can't protect their data, apart from receiving potentially huge fines, there are more important considerations like lost credibility, lost trust, and lost customers. Customers are terrified about having their data hacked, and I don't blame them. Technology spending for security and for storage is expected at 1 
trillion dollars from 2017 through 2021, half of which will be specific to data security. One trillion dollars, we hear that number thrown around a lot, but it's one thousand million dollars. It's one thousand million million dollars, actually. Stash America is a technology company providing proprietary data-centric security solutions for business and consumer applications. It solves the top three concerns of businesses and consumers everywhere regarding data storage. Firstly, losing their data. Secondly, others gaining access to their data. And thirdly, being unable to get your data. And Stash, like 99.9, unlike 99.9% of other security offerings is highly adaptable and protects every variable of digital data at rest. Good morning, Janine. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I'm quite well, thank you. And yourself? I am terrific. I'm sitting here in Los Angeles waiting for a storm to hit, which is a very unusual occurrence for us. I know it is, but it must be a welcome one with all that dryness going on out there. Yeah, I went for a bit of a drive yesterday and it's so dry. Everything is just tinder dry and I'm waiting for some idiot with a match. Um, well, I hope it's a beautiful storm. I hope it is too. Um, so what are some of the biggest misconceptions that businesses have about cybersecurity? You know, the two that come to mind that are most prevalent is, and they're, they're completely diametrically opposed. There are many, many businesses who refuse to believe that they are vulnerable to being hacked. And that may be surprising, but some of that comes from looking at the cybersecurity landscape and being so confused by so many of the offerings out there and all the companies that are saying that they can solve this problem, that there's a collective sticking of heads in the sand for some businesses. The businesses that do realize that they need to do something are so unsure of which direction to go that their fallback is, well, I'm backing up my data, so I should be fine. So the thing about backup is all businesses should be backing up their data. There's no doubt about that. Sure. The trouble with that is is that that is perfect for when you need to recover very quickly because there has been an internal issue or there is data that is going missing somehow. But for data that is really valuable, that can tank a company if it's stolen, you really need to resort to long-term data storage, and that is an archiving solution that is completely different in terms of what it does. It's a lockup rather than a backup of valuable data. So when somebody um, hacks into a business and their information stolen, does that information actually disappear or just means the two people have got it? So here's what happens with most information when it's stolen. First of all, What many hackers will do is they will infiltrate a company's network and live there like a host for, you know, days and days and days and months. And most hacks are not discovered for at least 200 days, 
By time they're discovered, by time they're patched, by time there is remediation, you're looking at four to six months before anything is even reasonably secure again. So within that period of time, within about 30 to 60 days, depending upon how ambitious the hackers are, that data will already be on the black market and have been sold to the people who value it the most. When, if somebody breaks into your home, an alarm goes off immediately and says, hey, somebody's in the house. Why is it that it takes so long to discover a hack? Isn't, aren't, there, aren't there some sort of mechanisms that set off alarm bells so that the second somebody sort of walks into your vault door that the alarm bells go off? There are many, 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 many companies out there that are providing tools to help with this cybersecurity problem. And to your point, some of them provide alarm services, i.e., they are constantly scanning networks to discover anomalies. They are looking at the way data is flowing in and out of a company. They're looking at the way the employee's permissions are being used to see if somebody other than the employees who have permission are utilizing the system. All these things are absolutely necessary. However, hackers, the ones that are cyber criminals and are experts, there are thousands of them. There are millions of hackers that are novices. Right. And the kind of systems I'm talking about, the kinds of tools, will definitely, definitely keep out novice hackers because they reveal themselves quite handily when they're knocking on the door and trying to get in. However, expert hackers, this is something that I think most people will be surprised at and don't know. You don't even need to be connected to the Internet to have an expert hacker get into your system. They are stealthy. They know how to disguise themselves in ways that are undetectable. And you only need one. You only need one. And you're compromised and your important data is is out there. And, you know, to your point, you know, you know so much about it already from your introduction. Um, this is, the breach itself is bad enough, but the hits that a company takes is yeah. regarding their brand equity. For instance, when a company is hacked, 37% of customers approximately leave the business right away. They're not going to do business with you anymore. Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah, 57% are upset, will continue to do business with you, but they're looking for an out. So it is a long-term net loss all the way around. And fines are coming down the pike now. There's legislation that will both fine a company either $20 million or 4% of their gross revenue, whichever is larger, and also make the board of directors and CEO responsible. And if criminal charges are brought Seriously, people are going to be going to jail. So it's getting very serious out there. If, and this is an if, I, I accept that, but if the Russians can hack into our electoral, electoral system and if they can hack into the Department of Justice, what hopes a, a company got that's of reasonable size, let's say it's a... You know, it's not it's not an Exxon, but it's a it's a good size hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollar company. What hope have they got? 
So here's what's happening out there now. So hacks have, cyber uh, uh, criminals have been hacking into companies for literally for decades. Yep. And the reason why it has become a collective focus is because little by little by little, like any cottage industry, these hacks have grown because they're, it's quite lucrative, right? right? Right. You can stay, you can stay invisible. You can steal a lot of very valuable data. You can become quite wealthy if you're very good at it, and it can go on and on forever. So, there's nobody that is intentionally leaving their company or their organizations or the governments intentionally leaving themselves vulnerable. They are using the tools that have been available out there until now. If you are in the cybersecurity community, what you know for sure is that hacks are no longer an if. They are a when for everybody. Right. And so what the experts are writing about now is that the solution to what is happening is that you're going to be hacked. So what are you trying to protect? The lowest common denominator is the data itself. That is what a data-centric security solution is about. Well, all the other tools out there, if you think of an egg, yep. all the other tools out there are like the shell of the egg. They are strong, right. but they're, break, they're breakable. There are holes in these systems, and you need them because you want to keep the riffraff out. Right. The piece of the puzzle that is missing is the solution that will protect that vulnerable yoke itself. And that is what data-centric security does. It protects the data bytes. And there are a variety of data-centric methods that protect data. The best ones take the data, they encrypt them, they break them into digital confetti, and they store them in a variety of places, in multiples, so that you can't lose them. If a hacker does get some of these pieces, they have pieces of data, but they don't know what it says. It's gobbledygook. They, they don't can't know put how it all together. Exactly. They can't. They don't know how many pieces make a whole, and they don't know who the data belongs to. Right. So your, your, your important data should be stored in a different way than your everyday data. That backup data, you can restore your system easily and get going again. Sure. That stuff that will tank your company, you, you need to segment it out. And what is being recommended is that you put it in a data-centric solution. What does, I, I have no idea, I was sort of thinking about it during the night, I have no idea what a hacking organization looks like. So is a hacking organization like got an office and there's a, and they have a meeting every Monday morning and decide who they're going to hack and there's hundreds of these nerds sitting around computers hacking? Is it like that or is it much more sort of you know, diverse and there's all these individuals how organized is it? That's an interesting question, and it's it's one, actually, that I, I get quite often. Um, it is everything that you said. And so an organization of hackers can be and do, many of them run, just like a company runs. They don't necessarily have an office. In fact, they probably don't. But they have a way of communicating with one another on a regular basis to plan various crimes, to interact with each other, to delegate responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera. Most hacks are done with fewer people. 
So you've got a lot of singular hackers out there who, in addition to, the, the landscape has changed so much over the last decade. What used to happen was hackers wanted to get in and steal valuable data and then get paid for it. Sure. Now you, now you have hacktivists, or you have people who are angry at how a company or an organization or a government is conducting their business and goes in specifically to manipulate or destroy data. They don't even care about getting a payout. They're angry and they want to make a mark. So you've got people who individually are doing this kind of thing. You've got small groups of people that are um, performing these exercises either together on a very organic basis and you have what you described earlier, you do have organizations that run just like companies run. Pretty scary, isn't it? So what are the most, some of the most costly mistakes that companies are making when it comes to securing their most valuable data? They get, they get a security system and they sit back and hope that that um, protects the eggshell. Well, it's really interesting because about a year ago um, when we were approaching, we began to approach industries that were particularly vulnerable to data theft. And, and those industries are, you know, the ones that you can imagine. They are, they are the government. They are uh, health and energy and, and media and accounting and law firms, all those kinds of companies. Yep. There had been a, a very big wave of lots of companies jumping on the cybersecurity bandwagon because it is, it is a quite lucrative segment. You know, everybody is wringing their hands and trying to figure out how to solve this problem. Lots of companies out there, lots of companies doing similar things and kind of competing with each other for these dollars. And about a year ago, a lot of the companies that we were approaching said, oh, we just purchased all of these tools. We feel confident. We feel secure. We don't think that we need anything else. A year later, many of those companies have begun to contact Stash because they have been hacked or aberrant behavior has been discovered and they realize that they really do need the last piece to the puzzle. You need lots of tools. Your security should be broad and deep. Right. That is a very costly mistake if you're thinking you're buying a system and that is it is protecting your perimeter and that you're safe. That is that is the costliest mistake the companies make. The next really costly mistake is something that you'll you're going to be hearing more and more about in the coming weeks and months. It's called cyber hygiene. And what that means is you need to really have a very, very formal program for your employees to learn about what is safe and what isn't safe to be doing on their computers. And with all the bring your device to work initiatives and people working remotely, by this may this is another shocking, shocking statistic. By twenty twenty, there will be fifty billion plus devices connected to one another and yeah. each one of those endpoints is a way for hackers to get in and i'm not just talking about computers yeah i was i was yeah, just i was just about to, to ask you about the internet of things and and you know it's 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 smaller stuff i guess but um you can 
hackers can hack you through your refrigerator or your toaster <laughs> and the cost of securing those things is too high to just you know can't be justified within the um the retail price of the, of the item so how do you how do you protect against that well again it is it is all about protecting the data and if companies make a decision to actually add this this one last piece of technology to their security systems, even if their employees make mistakes, this is as safe as it possibly gets. The data itself that's important is off someplace else, whether it's in the cloud, it can also be in the company on dedicated servers, but not connected to the network. Even if employees do make mistakes, the data is protected. The number of endpoints, the, the number of companies that are trying to address these challenges from outside, from the endpoint direction, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of them. There are almost no companies until now that have been addressing the data itself. Uh, we are one, there are another couple coming down the pike, and this is going to become the absolute in the cybersecurity world for data security. So I guess we've, over the past years, there's been solutions that have been sort of the ultimate solution and there always seems to be one more step. Is there another step beyond where Stash is or, or are you guys at the, at the um, end wall? You know, um, technology is a wonderful thing, and Sometimes. the real. <laughs> you know, I think I, I like to think of it. I like to I like to be cautiously optimistic. I think that the benefit of all of us being connected from a human standpoint, because I think we need all need to remember that what companies and organizations and governments and firms are, they're they're people. Sure. They are people, and we can't forget that point. And so the the benefits of technology, I believe, still to this day outweigh the obstacles and the challenges of technology. That's an and, interesting discussion. Oh yes, yes, I know. I'm sure we could talk for hours on that. We'll have to, we'll have to do that another time. Um, the thing about um, what is coming is. You always have to be looking for what's best. And I know that what we do at Stash is um, I've got wonderful, wonderful, um, some of the best technologists in the world who have built and maintain and continue to iterate our data-centric security solution. And some of the things we're working on now, because there's always there's always another place to go, because there's not new technology per se. Technology that is new, quote unquote, is always something that somebody in a room with a whiteboard or a garage, like yeah. Steve Jobs used to do, puts the technology together in a different way and comes up with a better mousetrap. That's what new technology is. So here, here, here are some of the things coming down the pike. Again, with, in order to, to secure the outcome of genuine security, what's coming down the pike is using artificial intelligence to teach data how to protect itself. Another thing that is coming is an environment. Lots of companies are 
offering something called network security, where the shell is around the network. Okay. Again, because the shell is porous, your network really and truly is not secure. It is pretty secure, but you need that last that last piece. Sure. There is there is a way to actually work on documents on the day-to-day, and that's called data in motion. When you're working on a da- document, it's data in motion. When it's stored away someplace, that's data at rest. Da- a data in motion solution that provides an opportunity to work on your day-to-day documents, but they're still encrypted and they cannot be stolen, that is coming down the pike as well. It is quite complicated. The solution is being worked on today that's Dash. And by the time it reaches the consumer in about a year, it will be a very simple way for people to work just like they work now, but the back end will be a fortress for data in motion. So we hear um, these stories about, um, say, your webcam. That um, I've heard stories about people on their phone, walk into their house, um, type into the keypad their um, security code, and somebody could be watching it, watching you do that through the um, camera in your phone, and therefore, bingo, your house is now penetrable. Are those stories true? Unfortunately, those stories really, really are true, and... You may have seen maybe a couple of weeks ago, there was an interesting and kind of ironic story about Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook mm-hmm. in the news. And he actually uses a piece of masking tape or something to yeah. cover the camera on his computer. That's all that. Yeah, so indeed, unfortunately, it is true. Um, the best thing to do to protect yourself against that particular uh, uh, predicament is to always make sure that all of the software and operating systems on the computers that you use are up to date and all the patches have been uploaded to your system um, because, you know, one of the interesting ways that many, many cyber criminals get into particularly personal computers is via banner ads, via advertising. When people click on an ad, it releases a malware, and some of that malware is designed to utilize your camera to spy on what you're doing. So keep your software and your computer operating system up to date. Any updates that come through from your browsers, another way that uh, cyber criminals easily get into systems is when somebody doesn't keep their browser updated and keep a little piece of something over that camera. I do, all the time. Right. So, so, so good advice is to walk around with a roll of duct tape in your handbag. <laughs> I guess that's so. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a medium-sized company and uh, I'm worried about protecting my um, information. So I call Stash. So what do I do now? How, about, how do I go about designing that security system that's going to protect my information, or do you do all of that, or how does that all work? We have found that the the best way to make people feel comfortable is to, first of all, explain to them the differences and what Stash value brings to them, and then we do it all. Stash is data agnostic, so we protect any format of data, 
we protect it in any location. I think I mentioned earlier, it can be via private cloud, public cloud, or via servers on-site that are completely separated from the cloud. When you, when you use Stash, if you have a legacy backup system, we actually save most companies anywhere between 30 and 80% of their total cost of ownership for data management annually because you're not backing up that valuable data all the time. Right. You have it someplace and you access it when you need it. The solution is available via SaaS, which is a the kind of system you use where you just go on the internet, type in your password and load your own stuff. Or it is available through our secure backup, which is different, although it's called backup. It is very different than any backup that you're using. It is simply a method to easily deliver our security function to you. Or it's available through something called an API. And that is something that is custom to every company. And it's usually used by companies that are middle-sized businesses all the way up to very large enterprises. Smaller companies generally don't use this kind of method, but an API will actually be built on a custom basis. It's not very expensive to do, doesn't take very long, and will gather the information on a regular basis that needs to be stored. So it's we really try to make it very, very simple. Um, the people who are at your disposal, many of them are the people who are operating the system every day. We're quite transparent. We don't promise anything more than what we actually can do. And if we find that our solution is not what you were looking for, for whatever reason, um, which is unlikely because there's nobody that can't yeah. use it, shouldn't be using it. But if that's so, we will absolutely help you to find the solution that is best for you. Um, we're really trying to bring a transparency to a market segment that is murky, that is really quite murky. So um, that is a differential that we hope that our customers appreciate, and they, they seem to. So what's the um, sort of minimal size company uh, that would use your services? Usually, we, we, the companies that are using us now are everywhere from about 50 employees all the way up to 10 million employees. Right. So, very small to very, very large. Um, 50 employees is usually the smallest company simply because under that there are um, solutions that um, they usually don't have enough data that they can't just store it even on disk or tape, and that is a less costly solution for a really, really small company. But once you get to about 50 employees, yep, you really ought to be thinking about this. So if I'm a 50-employee company, um, is, is this a major investment for me? Oh, gosh, no. Um, we are, we have tried to make Stash, and we have, I think we've succeeded. We are very, very competitive. Um, there are extremely expensive options out there. Uh, again, because it's a hot market and people are exploiting the opportunity sure. to make a lot of money in a short time. We want to be, we intend to be the most trusted source for secure data in the world. And we don't feel like we're going to be around for other than decades. So what we'd like to do is to charge customers appropriately 
makes them feel like they're getting a good value for what we provide and to keep them for a really long time. That's our that's our strategy and we're and we're sticking to it. Right. So so while you guys are continually developing new tools and um, um, using AI to um, keep your system smart, the cyber criminals doing the same thing. So what does the future hold when it comes to tactics that are going to thwart cyber criminals? Because obviously they're pretty smart too and they've got they've probably got AI and whatever working for them as well. Well, I guess that I'd like to think that um, in the United States uh, and in other parts of the world, there are enough hackers that are doing bad things for good reasons. And what I mean by that is there's lots and lots of hackers who both go to the dark side but come from the dark and come into the light. And so I think that the powers that be on both sides are quite efficient and that it is it is a matter of keeping ahead of the bad guys, and that has always been and always will be. And I feel very, very confident that the methods that we currently have and the methods that are coming down the pike, that we will absolutely be able to stay that one step ahead. Well, I hope so. So let me, let me just – I'm tossing around a minute. So you take a company's information and – you make it like a jigsaw puzzle. You break it up into these hundreds of bits and you store all these bits independently so there's no direct connection between any of them so that um, when you need to access information, it, it connects back up again. Is that how it works, kind of? That is, a, that is very much how it works. And there's a couple of secret sauce things on the front end and the back end right. that, for instance, prove that you are you when you are both inserting and trying to take data out. They're very, very, they, they're, they're kind of fun to use, believe it or not, but they're very, very sophisticated on the back end. Right. And we don't store any information at Stash. We can't see what you're doing. We can't see your data. We don't know who you are. Um, that's quite deliberate because how can you feel safe? I know people have said to me, you know, why aren't you using open source? And to me, the answer is quite logical. Why would I use open source technology? This is a security company. Yep. Sure. You know? so, I understand that. So, yeah. So the thing is, is to inspire people to, to trust. And trust is something that is gained over time. So we intend to um, behave in exactly the way people expect us to. Janine Darling, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn more about Janine and Stash by going to stashdatapro.com. That's stashdatapro.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network right after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. 
Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And we are the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs this week, broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles in the heart of Silicon Beach. Tiny homes from 250 to 400 square feet are being built around the United States for a whole bunch of reasons. Some are designed for affordability, others to be constructed quickly, and some for people who choose to live an absolutely minimalist <laughs> lifestyle. In Detroit, an entire neighbourhood of tiny houses is under construction with one primary goal, giving homeless and low-income people the opportunity to own a home. The first homes were completed in late 2016. Now, half of the houses will be occupied by formerly homeless people, with seniors and college students making up the rest of the population. The concept of providing tiny houses for low-income people, it's not new. Uh, San Jose, California, Austin, Texas, Portland, Oregon are among a number of cities that have created villages of tiny homes for the homeless. At research shows that the most efficient way to combat homelessness is to provide those living on the streets with homes. But the Detroit model is different for an important reason. It's the only tiny house community in the country where residents rent to own. This is not only about ending homelessness, but ending poverty for those families. When they move in, residents sign a one-year lease with a rent that amounts to no more than one-third of their monthly income. They sign new annual leases for their first three years in the home while they comply with the terms. After three years, they're invited to sign a contract that amounts to the total rent for four subsequent years. So after paying that off, which is seven years in total, the resident will legally become the owner of the land and the home. I think that's really cool. Their rent will have bought them their house. So seven years of proving that they can pay the rent, proving that they're not going to wreck the place, looking after it, being a good community citizen, and they get to own one of these homes. Now, the houses are available for individuals or couples, and they're being built by a combination of professional construction workers and volunteers. The neighbourhood's exceptional because you get a number of these houses on a regular residential block, and each tiny home is unique. And there's 25 individual st styles of architectural plans, so they're ranging from Cape Cod to Victorian to modern styles. So each one is different. So it doesn't look like the Housing Commission or whatever. So because everything's different, people are much more likely to have pride in their home. Now, each home requires five weeks of construction 
and costs an estimated $40,000. That's the part that gets me. It seems to me that you could build these tiny homes for a hell of a lot less than $40,000, but I don't know whether that takes into account the cost of the land. Perhaps it does because housing blocks in major cities are pretty expensive. So you divide that up between 25 homes and uh, I guess it adds a fair bit to the cost. But um, the media release says that the homes actually cost 40000 to build. Now, the development's completely funded by private money and grants from organisations like the Ford Motor Company and the um, R&R Foundation. Now, it seems to me that these things should be funded by the government. The um, Los Angeles Council has put aside something like $345 million for homeless, and at $40,000 a home, it seems to me that they could get a hell of a lot of homeless people off the streets. But will they do it? That's another question. Now, the tenants are now part of a homeowners association which will be involved in the process of choosing future residents. They'll also take part in mandatory monthly classes about financial literacy and home ownership. Now, that's another great idea, teaching people who haven't had any experience and haven't possibly owned things about how to manage their money and um, look after themselves. Unlike many similar residential projects, this tiny homes community in Detroit won't feature communal space for cooking or doing laundry, since that would make it more complicated for residents to sell their homes later. Locating the homes in a central area of Detroit also sets it apart. They become part of the life of the city, tucked into an existing neighbourhood. I think that's a brilliant idea and is to be applauded. Fantastic. So you can spend the money on new housing for poor people and the homeless, or you can spend it on a football stadium or a golf course. Take your pick. <laughs> God, they waste so money. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds to read, and every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop Autonomous Cars and Blockchain. It's free. If you don't get it, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be. I hope you have a sensational week. I hope you can join me again next week when I'll be broadcasting from Thailand. I'm over there giving three speeches, one to Stanford University, one for Emerging Strategies, a hotel property management and sales company. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.